This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. everyone, welcome to Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I am your host, the publisher of uscfootball.com, Ryan Abraham, and joined right over here, next to me, well, maybe a few thousand miles away, Shotgun Spratling. Follow him on Twitter, at SpR. We're going to talk about some USC Trojan football news. Jordan Addison, the Bolitnikoff award-winning wide receiver, committing to USC, got a bunch of other stuff. We got to talk about, we were off... Last week or two, Shotgun? Has it been, it's been a little while, right? I mean, we, it, it seems like I haven't seen you, Ryan. I haven't been around you in a while. Yes. Um, I've, I've been all over the place, it feels like, uh, dealing with the weather over here. What is this weather stuff? What is this rain? I've had rain delays at the baseball games I've been at. I'm getting drenched out at these things. I need, I need to be back in Southern California where there's not, there's rarely ever any rain during baseball season. But you, you've yeah, made some so choices, I, Shotgun. You've made some choices to be around yeah. all that rain. <laughs> you know, at least you're not Paul Goldberg, former USCSID that we were good friends with. He's in Denver. Him and his wife moved to Denver with their kids. He posted a snow picture <laughs> this week. So at least you're not dealing with that. True, true. Not I've heard that the weather up there has, has been absolutely terrible, but um, <laughs> I've not been happy about the rain, but it's been fun. I've, I've seen a lot of different campuses, so, you know, kind of checking out all these schools and kind of comparing them to my experiences at USC and some of the other Pac-12 conference schools and whatnot and seeing the, the likes of Virginia Tech in Virginia and seeing some of the Ivy League schools and some of the smaller schools up here in the Northeast as well, so you know, trying try to make it a research trip out of it. Yeah. All right. Well, you might have noticed, everyone, that there's only two of us here for this edition of Tunnel this this you know edition this episode of Tunnel Vision. Uh, shotgun on the East Coast, me here in the studio in Southern California. Chris Trevino doesn't take a lot of vacations. He's out camping, so we'll give him the. Whenever he takes time off, that is fine. Him and Gerard never take time off, so let them guys take off. And Nicole, uh, she just graduated from USC, so congratulations to her. She's just coming back from a. A trip, a uh, graduation trip. So it's just going to be the two of us. We wanted to do a show because there was some big news. I did a video on our YouTube channel earlier this week talking about uh, Jordan Addison. Uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, pit wide receiver, 100 catches last year, nearly 1,600 yards, 17 touchdowns, I think tied for the lead in the nation. A stud, stud wide receiver. We didn't, weren't sure where he was going to go. A lot of rumors about USC. He ends up picking the Trojans. So I'm going to, here, I'll put this up here. Shotgun, sorry, you get to go away for a bit. Um, yeah, Jordan Addison, that's a little graphic. Uh, thanks, Seth, for doing that. Uh, he put this out on Twitter. I'll put up his uh, 
statement for you. It's a couple pages long, but, you know, talking about the difficulty, the struggles he sort of went through that, you know, always grateful to Pat Narduzzi and all the coaches and everybody at Pitt. He loved the fact that they won, uh, you know, an ACC championship and all of that. Um, so all the friendships and everything. Um, so he said, I fully and carefully considered the advice of my family and close friends and fully weighed both the risks and benefits associated with my decision. I also respect that others may make a different choice. But for me, I will continue my full development as a student athlete by enrolling at USC. So uh, big news there this week, uh, Shadi, just seeing that we were kind of on Jordan Addison watch for, I don't know, a couple yeah. weeks. Very similar feel to the Caleb Williams watch. Uh, and people asked me, I did a couple radio shows that morning before he had committed. And I was like, yeah, he's probably going to end up at USC. I just feel like this is a thing that, you know, take a little time, go on a visit to Texas, get some, you know, get a feel for some of the other programs out there. But my gut said he was going to end up at USC and he did. So, but, you know, obviously a huge get for Lincoln Riley and the Trojans. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you get the, the best wide receiver in the nation, according to the Belinikoff Award and according to Drake London getting injured, throw that in there again. Uh, but, you know, when you get the best receiver in the nation after losing the number one draft pick uh, wide receiver, then, you know, it's a great replacement there for USC. Another playmaker for Caleb Williams and the offense. You know, they're surrounded by playmakers. They needed to overhaul the wide receiver room. You know, losing Drake London, uh, they just, you know, they had fallen off from where they had been at three or four years ago when you had multiple draft picks starting for USC. So there was some question marks coming in, and they have done that in spades. I mean, getting Brendan Rice, getting Mario Williams, getting Terrell Bynum, that was a great upgrade to the, the wide receiver room. And now you go add Jordan Addison. Whew. So I think they're going to have a ton of playmakers. Uh, Mark Watkins asked the question, does the offense average over under 40 points this season? I think you're looking at it, and that's that's a tough number to get to. But that's a question you start asking now because of how many playmakers they have. And the offensive line returns some some uh, veteran guys there, so you feel like they should be able to produce as well. So another playmaker, a big-time guy that uh, you know has speed to burn, can get behind defenders, does a really good job against zone coverage, actually. So, you know, you can try to bracket him with two guys, but then you're going to leave Brendan Rice one-on-one, or you're going to leave Terrell Bynum or Kyle Ford or, you know, Mario Williams, Gary Bryant, just so many weapons there that you, you're not going to be able to double-team everybody. So they can move him around in the in the formation a little bit. He played a ton of, of his time in the slot. So that's going to be, you know, where I see him lining up. But you can move him around. You can move Mario Williams around. You can move Terrell Bynum around. It's going to be mismatched city because of the, what the guys that you can put in the slot, but also can you, you can move guys around and put them outside too. So, you know, wherever you identify a weakness on the opposition, whether it be a third safety that comes in for a dime defense, whether it be a third cornerback as a nickel, if they try to put a, a try to stretch out a linebacker at times, whoever the, the, the opponent is, you're going to attack mismatches over and over and over. And Jordan Addison is a guy that can can do that a lot for you as well. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you look at you know him as far as the rankings go, you know, 24-7 sports kind of re-ranks a lot of the players that are in the transfer portal. There end up being five, five stars from this 2022 cycle. And uh, USC end up getting two of them. Caleb Williams was the number one ranked player. And then... Addison was the number five ranked player, and they were all they were both five stars. They also got another top ten player in Mario Williams. Um, so you know, 
USC secures its spot as the number one, you know, as the transfer portal king. Lincoln Riley, Lane Kiffin going back and forth a little bit. Uh, USC's got the number one transfer class. Might not be done yet. Uh, you know, there's some some other, you know, names out there. We'll see. But that was a big one. That was a, one we were kind of waiting on. And, you know, just being able to bring in a, a talent like that, it's it's caused some shockwaves, I think, across college football. We'll talk about the, the, like that pit radio announcer in a little bit. That was kind of a crazy rant. He went on. We put up a story on that uh, earlier today. But this is, uh, you know, it's funny. It, it's it's one of those things where it's getting people's attention. And USC is like turning heads. And when a national radio host that talks about college football, you're going to mention USC because the Jordan Addison stuff or the Lincoln Run. USC is getting mentioned a lot. And it's not for like because they fired their coach or whatever. It's because they're real. They're relevant. Like there's there's national news and college football, you know, with NIL and transfer portal and all that stuff. And USC is like in the forefront of all that, just being relevant again. Um, it's without playing a game. I think like Riley's like on the right track, right? You, you want to be recognized for a program that's being talked about for in the national championship picture, which I don't think I would go there, but I think, I think DraftKings came out. USC was like number five in their like choices for the national title, uh, you know, for the national title odds. And there was another one that had USC like sixth overall. Um, I, I think that's probably, you know, you might want to pump the brakes a little bit, but people are at least thinking about it. Like they're thinking about USC is back already without even played a game under Lincoln Riley. Yeah, definitely. And I was at, was on a couple of radio shows this past week as well. And one of the questions was, you know, uh, uh, was before the Addison news was, you know, the odds came out and USC was favored in, you know, to be in the championship game over Utah. You know, Utah was not the favorite in the Pac-12, um, and USC was up there with Oregon. So, you know, and then the news that, that the divisions are dissolving makes it even, you know, maybe it's a better chance for USC to make it this year. I don't know. It's, it's a, That's a tough way to tough to, to determine whether it's easier or, or harder for USC to make it. But, you know, the fact that people are putting them over a Utah team at least some odds makers saying that it's easier odds for USC to make a championship game is it, kind of crazy when you look at Utah's bringing back pretty much everybody, yeah. uh, you know, off a, a Rose Bowl winning team. So, you know, that's crazy. That shows you the turnover of the roster because USC would always be given the benefit of the doubt in the past years because the talent on the roster, but we've seen that decline a little bit by a little bit. And last year they just didn't have the talent to compete when they didn't have the coaching to over, I mean, they didn't have the talent to overcome the coaching. So, uh, you know, now I think you're, you have restocked the, the shelves for USC talent wise a, a good bit, a good bit. There's still a little bit of ways to go. Obviously, there's still some depth issues, but just the overall talent cachet has been re restocked for USC. And I think that you're seeing that in different areas, particularly in the wide receiver room, but, you know, just a, a, a number of other areas as well. And they're still looking for a couple pieces to add, but the roster is getting closer to being solidified um, as we, you know, move through this, this period where we had to see everyone go into the portal, you know, to be eligible to play. You had to make that decision before May. And now we're seeing some of those decisions come out in the last three weeks. And Jordan Addison's a big one. We got a couple of comments, Shotgun. Utah didn't win the Rose Bowl. They went to the Rose Bowl. So people, I'm, I'm oh, looking sorry. around. That's okay. Yeah. But I you're remember right. it being epic. I couldn't remember who won. My bad. Yeah. No, don't worry. And uh, it was a really good game, too. Um, but the, yeah. And I, and Shotgun mentioned it. And, we, you know, we talked about it on the podcast this past week, but, the, the Pac-12 changed the rule once the NCAA said, hey, you don't need divisions to have a championship game. 
within five minutes, uh, George Klyovkov put out the statement that's like, now it's just the best conference winning percentages that play. And that's pretty good news for USC. I agree with Shotgun. I think if you're picking the Pac-12 South, at right now I would still put Utah a little, you know, slightly ahead of USC, mainly because that game against the Utes is in Salt Lake City, which is a difficult place to play. Um, yep. Utah does have to play Oregon and stuff, but still, I would give the edge to Utah. But I think the Pac-12 North is going to be a bit of a mess. I could easily see USC and Utah be the number one and two teams percentage-wise, so they could play again in Las Vegas. Now, I went to the championship game in Vegas, and Utah had a huge advantage. Like, there was a home game. There was like 80% Utah fans there over the Oregon fans. Um, but, you know, I think there's a, a realistic possibility that USC would get another shot at Utah if they go to Salt Lake City and lose. So that's a significant one, too. I think that actually gives USC a slightly better chance of winning the Pac-12 this year unless they, you know— you could see them having a good team, a much improved team, but not being able to get over the hump of against Utah because they play on the road. Now they could lose to Utah on the road and then still play them again in, in Vegas and maybe be better at the end of the season. Uh, so that'll be kind of an interesting one. Uh, and but and one, one of the things is that the way we're talking about this team is, you know, it, it's, it's similar to what we were looking at a few years ago where you go, okay, when they play to their potential, and it's been so long since they played to their potential <laughs> – where, you know, we would say these things like they could get to Vegas, you know, they could overcome a loss, you know, they have the talent to do that, but will they? You know, it always felt like, hey, they'll shoot themselves in the foot somewhere along the way, but now you, you're kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, we don't know. You know, Lincoln Riley might run into a game where nothing's working right and they lose a game and everyone's scratching their head, you know, very similar to the, the Corvallis trips for Pete Carroll. But right now everyone's kind of giving them that benefit of the doubt, like, They'll figure it out, you know, and they're adding talent. So, you know, they're addressing the deficiencies that the team does have. So it's going to be really interesting to see. And, you know, it's really fun to see everyone excited about the season upcoming as far as the USC fans and stuff. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. But, you know, it, it's 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 interesting how we've changed the how we've changed the way we are, uh, you know, referencing the team as well. Yeah, uh, I mentioned a little earlier. So there was uh, we we put a story up on uscfootball.com. I don't want to give too much time to this, but it was uh, so Pittsburgh radio host Andrew Filipponi. Uh, you know, I guess he's a popular radio host in Pittsburgh, and you can read the whole story on uscfootball.com or watch the uh, the video that he puts up there. And holy cow, did he go on a rant? Talking, you know, just, he didn't wasn't critical about Jordan Addison, but was critical about everything else. He hopes USC like the Coliseum blows up. And USC never wins a game again, and the the program gets disbanded. He wants to beat up Lincoln Riley in an alley. It was, I mean, he thinks Colin Cowherd's getting paid by USC. It's like Cowherd makes millions of dollars for what his like USC would not be paying him to like talk about USC. There's some of the stuff in there was really kind of crazy, uh, and you know, to be you know, he works for the Pitt Panthers, uh, you know, flagship station. So you know, whatever, some kind of Homer stuff going on there, but. I was just kind of taken aback. I was like, holy cow, man. This just seemed like uh, – and he said the same thing, one of the same things that some of the Oklahoma fans that were really upset were saying. It's, like, it's not just that he left. It's the way he left, you know, <laughs> leaving after spring. And I, to me, that that's the kind of stuff that someone put a like a Cartman gif where he's like licking the kid's tears when he's like, you know, whatever. Uh, it was kind of funny. Like, And I think the USC fans are sort of relishing this, like that they're becoming like – the hated ones again, you know, um, and uh, for a good reason that, you know, that they're actually going out and making big moves in college football and people are getting like, how did you get Pitt's wide receiver? And, you know, on the surface shotgun, it's like, 
His quarter, we talked about this a million times. His quarterback left. His, quarter, his wide receiver coach left. His offensive coordinator left. Keaton Slovis comes in. If he's not all that impressed, whatever it is, and he wants to go somewhere. Like, USC makes sense. It's sort of like the hot new club that's opened up, you know? Everyone wants to go. Uh, and if the club's not that good, like, after a few weeks, the, the lines will die down. But right now, there is a line out the door for this USC club shotgun. Yeah, I think the big one there, and, you know, we talk about the the changes that happen at Pitt, and I think, you know, Keaton Slovis coming in after Kenny Pickett, I don't think there's a, a gigantic drop-off where you're just like, this guy can't throw him in the ball, this is not going to work. Um, but I think the offensive coordinator, you know, you, you mentioned he went through spring practice, and I think that is telling that it wasn't like, okay, the guys aren't here and I think things are going to fall apart. But if you go through spring practice, you go – I don't know if this is, offense is going to work and really highlight my capabilities, make me better, do different things. Um, so I, I think that's probably the, would probably be the number one reason. And hey, when we get a chance to talk to him, we'll ask him exactly, hey, what went into that decision? Why did you decide to leave? We'll see if he gives a genuine answer or not. But you know, I think that probably played a huge role into it. When you lose your offense coordinator, the guy that's calling all the plays, how do you, you know, how are you going to use me? And like I said, Pittsburgh moved him in motion a lot. They did a lot of different things to try to get him open. And maybe, you know, the new guy coming in was like, hey, we're going to run this set of plays. Maybe it was Graham Harrell. We're going to run this five set of plays. And, you know, maybe we'll throw in some special plays every once in a while. But hey, these are the these are the set plays that we're going to do. It takes three days to practice them. And, you know, if you're not open, and, you know, if they double team you, well, somebody else will be open. And we're not going to really worry about trying to get you open. We'll just try to exploit the double team. I, who knows exactly how it played out in that regard. But that would is, you know, when you look at those changes, you go, yeah, I could see why you would want to leave, you know, even after winning the Blitnikoff, you know, because there's a lot of things that are different. It's not just like, you know, a guy takes a team to, you know, a Rose Bowl starting quarterback, takes a team, and then everyone's returning. And he goes, maybe I can get an NIL deal somewhere else for more for more money. Or takes a team to the Elite Eight, and suddenly someone comes in from Kansas State, it gets $400,000, and he thinks that, you know, I took this team to the Elite Eight. I should get more money which is what happened with Isaiah Wong at Miami basketball. So, you know, I don't think it's one of those type situations from the outside looking in. Haven't got any sources to say explicitly why he decided to do that, but we hope to to hear from him directly at some point and find out. But yeah, you look at it and you go, where is he going to go after that? Well, if he's leaving Pitt and he's looking for somewhere that's going to enhance his skill set, what are you looking for? An elite quarterback. You know, I had the, Kenny Pickett, who ended up being, I believe, the number one quarterback taken in the draft this year. You know, I just had that guy. I want to go where I'm going to play with another first round, second round type of quarterback. And you start looking at the places and you go, OK, maybe Bryce Young in Alabama, maybe C.J. Stroud. Well, they already have three or four receivers. You know, maybe I, they don't use me in the way that I want to be used. USC with Caleb Williams. And you start seeing those type of things. And obviously, Ari has a connection with Caleb Williams. We're both from the DMV area. I know Chris Trevino would be super excited to hear about that right now. I did have some Orioles gear on earlier to, to channel Chris Trevino. Uh, but, <laughs> but like I said, I, I was at the Ivy League Championship and got absolutely drenched. So I had to get out of there. Yeah. Um, and, and let me just address one thing. with. Uh, so he went on his rant on the, the radio. It was like a 20-minute rant. And he mentioned like the three and a half million dollars, which that's a now a bumped up number. It was three, the original one. You know, I talked to. We, I thought it was originally two million, and then suddenly it went up to three million, and I've heard three and a half. I've even heard five million. So yeah. USC just spending that money apparently. That no, they don't. 
there's not no. being I talked to a high ranking source at USC in the athletic department and they just said that was bull like and I've said this a bunch of times before like I think USC will get their NIL stuff together there's going to be some advantages of being at USC and being in Los Angeles there's big companies if you're Caleb Williams if you're a star th- then you're going to get like real deals because people want the like hey you're a star in LA let's uh you know we're going to give you a deal for this deal for that like that's where you're going to have the advantages USC doesn't have a collective as of right now. There was no package that was put together that was $3 million. Like, that is absolute bunk. And I, I wrote about this in the war room um, probably a couple weeks ago. But that everything we've heard, that's just that's just not true. And I feel like that's one of the excuses that gets thrown out there. And his whole thing was, the, the rant was about, like, it's all about this money and the booster money and all this kind of stuff. It, I, this might be a good thing for, for USC, too. Like, you're giving USC too much credit. Like, Alabama was the same way. Like they, they, they could just recruit because I mean, Nick Saban's built a machine. They didn't really need to do the NIL stuff. They didn't really realize, oh wow, Texas A&M signed the best class in history because they put all this NIL money into it and you know above board. Like they followed whatever the rules were, and Alabama could just do it the old way and just crush people. And like USC has been the same way a lot of times. Like they, when Pete Carroll was winning and they had the worst you know weight rooms in the, the top twenty five. They didn't need it like that. We got all these other advantages and stuff. But sometimes then the game changes and like some of those advantages sort of go away. You need facilities. You need these things. And you have to kind of adapt to the times. USC's not been like the fastest to adapt to the times. If you remember the first time the early signing period came out, USC didn't anticipate that the early signing period was going to be the main signing period. They were going to try to sign everyone late. And that was the wrong thing. Uh, and a lot of other schools did. So USC's not been the fast to adapt. They're not going to be in the forefront of NIL collective. So I think that's just, you know, we've seen Tennessee do it. We've seen Texas A&M do it. We've seen some other major programs try to jumpstart. But USC has, like, different advantages that all you needed to do is basically have a great head coach and you, all those things will come to light. And that, that's all you did. You just hired a really great head coach, and now these advantages are kind of popping up again. That, oh, they put guys in the NFL. They can win Heismans. The, the offense is going to be great and all that kind of stuff. So... Yeah, don't. I mean, and it sucks. I, I have friends that'll talk to me that are just like, "Well, I didn't. I can't believe that guy got three million dollars." Like, no, he didn't get three million dollars. <laughs> like, but you know, that's it's just sort of what comes out there. And I, I feel bad, even like Jimbo, like Texas A and M, that thirty million. You know, they said they paid thirty million for that recruiting class, which I don't think is true. I think they probably paid a bunch of money, but not that. And it doesn't look good for Texas A and M just because now the next group is going to be like, "Hey, where's mine?" And you're like, "No, we didn't really pay people thirty million, but like that's what's out there," you know. So. <laughs> But yeah, I just want to yeah. let the, 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 thir- the $3 million, that's just, that was not the, the case. Maybe, he might have some kind of deal or something, but it was not like a bunch of boosters piling up money and offering it to Jordan Addison before he was in the transfer portal. Like, that's absolute bunk. Yeah, and it's, you know, similar to Saban's comments, throwing out, oh, well, you know, a Jackson State player got a million dollars. And you're talking about, you know, all the stuff with Texas A&M where, you know, the, the number was thrown out as $30 million. The source was sliced bread <laughs> someone who's who's you know author tag was sliced bread and this the one with the usc like someone find that source of where that three million came from and it's not a credit i've seen it once before but i don't remember it off the top of my head but it's someone who had like i don't know like 30 followers or something and like somehow through the rumor mill of twitter and through social media someone jumped on it and then turned it into – you don't see – like the LA Times isn't running with a story of uh, 3 million. The, the Pittsburgh Gazette's not running with a story that says yeah. 3 million. They don't have – you know, there's not concrete evidence 
But on social media, you can run with something like that, and then it's become the talking point for all the radio heads and whatnot um, as they go through it, and all the podcast people like us as well. But yeah, that number it happened was with Lincoln Riley there. too when he was hired. Remember, like they like they they bought his house and Lincoln and all this exactly, stuff, and, yep. and it was like or Norman, not Lincoln in Lincoln. He's he's Lincoln. Um, Lincoln's a Nebraska one. Yeah, like like that stuff wasn't true. Like, like what? Like I, it's like you don't yeah, know how Jordan, USC does things. Like they they would not do that. Like they're yeah, they would never Jordan Addison. <laughs> there were Jordan Addison rumors about him getting a house in Malibu as well. Oh it's God. like what, what are you guys talking about? Like that's not how they're going to uh, attack players. Uh, you know, with this, like you're not going to set someone up with a house in Malibu. I said it's just not going to happen. I would yeah, you wouldn't want that. Like. If he had a house in Malibu, it would take him like an hour to get to practice. Like there's no, like you're not like, that's, it's dumb. Like That's just like, what would he do with a house in Malibu? It would sit there. Like maybe his mom could move in there or something, but it sure wouldn't be him. Yeah. I think um, with the player, the the Jackson state player, he said like, if I have a million dollars, why is my mom still living? Like whatever, like a house with all the, I forget what it was, but it was something like, yeah. Okay. And, and also Jackson State's athletic budget, I don't think is, you know, their football budget, I don't believe is even a million dollars. Like Deion Sanders doesn't make that. So, um, but again, they have a big deal with, uh, you know, with, with some other company with Barstool, I believe it is. So, you know, maybe that plays into some of it. I don't know. But yeah, some of the dollar figures that are being thrown out. Don't believe the dollar figures unless it's, hey, we've seen the contract, which was like the athletic article about the, the quarterback. Right. The eight million uh, dollar thing, yeah, yeah, two million over four, you know, each year for four, or the Miami lawyer who comes out and tells you that hey, we're paying four hundred thousand dollars to this Kansas State transfer. So, and again, those aren't nil deals; those are pay for play deals. There's a difference. Yeah, it get it, a lot of people just want to conflate those into one thing. There's a big difference. There's legit nil deals, which are your beats deals, like Caleb Williams got and other stuff. And then there's inducements, which is pay, pay for play, which is what the NCA should be cracking down on. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition or not. They sent out warnings and saying, "Hey, we're going to uh, attack this," and you know, even go backwards, backdate things. But we'll see how much they actually do. Yeah, it's it's tough. We the, you know the cliches about you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, can't put the genie back in the bottle. Like once they kind of let this go, I I don't know. I mean, there's going to be lawsuits. I mean, uh, yeah, it's. It's kind of crazy, but you know, I think USC will get there. They'll 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 catch up eventually. They'll get a collective, and they'll you know have the same sort of things if that's what everyone's doing. But they weren't going to be a four, you know, uh, spearheading the effort of NIL collectives. But you got to give like Texas A&M credit, like for people to organize that quickly. You didn't even think about stuff like that, like <laughs> to organize that quickly and put a bunch of money together and like give these kids contracts to control their. NIL, uh, you know, deals and stuff. And I mean, pretty, I mean, pretty ingenious. Uh, and so I think they're yeah. just waiting, you know, waiting for something and, you know, above board, as far as like, there's no rules, basically, like you have to follow your state laws and stuff. Cause the NCAA screwed up. Like they, they just basically punted, punted, said, no, 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 no. And then when it happened, they're like, oh, okay, just do this. And they didn't have any kind of guardrails in place. Now it's really hard to kind of, you know, rein everybody back in. Yeah, and it's you know very similar. If you listen to that Jimbo Fisher press conference, which I caught about half of it, uh, which is great, amazing so entertainment. So good. Um, but we need content in May, like that's so good. If you listen to it, 
he says we didn't we didn't break any Texas laws or we didn't like he never mentions we didn't pay anyone or the collectives didn't pay anyone that, that he never phrases it that way he always phrases we stayed within state laws yeah so you know that he, he didn't thing. like understand he didn't know anything about the collective or he didn't you know it's like okay come on like you there, there's one thing it's like you have to know it exists you know they're doing stuff but you're my not favorite, you're not involved in it. Like, well, my favorite story so far is that, you know, listening to some other podcasts and some reporters is that, you know, hearing about coaches to be like, I don't want that guy. Why are they trying to pay that guy money? I don't want him. Um, there has been a couple of instances of that apparently out there. But for the most part, someone's keyed in, someone's the right hand man, someone gets the information from the coaching staff and then goes, all right, these are who we need to go after. These are our primary targets. But sometimes you get somebody who's just gung-ho about it. And it's interesting when there's different collectives at a school. I think uh, Ohio State has like three themselves. Oh, wow. Um, you know, okay. I didn't realize yeah, so, that. Yeah. So you have competitive. Is, there's a, is there a competitive nature there between the collectives? Are they all working together? Or, you know, is someone like, well, we'll pay him this much. and We'll, we'll become the primary collective. And, you know, that's going to give the, the coaches are going to love us more, whatever it may be. Because that's what all this collective and all this stuff is, is about – feeling like you are a part of the team, like you are a part of, you know, producing that, that big rivalry win or whatever. And that's the whole idea behind the bag, man, is that people would pay this money to say, I helped build that. Yeah. Uh, so, so now with the collectives, it's kind of the bag man above board. It's I helped build that for my alma mater or for my school type of thing. So now if you've got uh, competing collectives, how is that going to work? It's all very interesting. <laughs> it's made, it's made this off season way more interesting than than it would be i mean we would oh, yeah. ha have plenty of stuff to talk about here because you know obviously with lincoln riley and all the, tra the transfers but the collective has just added a whole different element of the college football conversation becoming you know year long and that's yeah. that's a positive i think for college football however there's some things that are you know it, it's you get a little dicey there on how far is this going to go as to what it d does to the game overall. Yeah. Um, because, you know, yeah, players should be paid. But if you're doing pay for play, what does that end up doing to the, the game as a, as a whole uh, versus, you know, the 15 or 20 teams that are going to spend money? Does everyone else then get relegated to a lower division? How is, you know, there's a reason why in college football, there's, I believe, 127 teams right now in Division One. And or in FBS, excuse me, because there's already a separation. There's 300 and something in basketball. There's 300 or 297 in baseball because schools just don't sponsor keeping up with the Joneses. And that's why they separated into the football championship series versus the football bowl series. Yeah. And is there going to be a further divide of that? And what does that product look like? Is it great because, hey, you got 20 super teams and it's like the NFL at just slightly different uh, lower level, or does it become it's just just not entertaining to watch the same teams over and over? Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Saban actually talked about that, where it's like, oh, you got a collective, and they pay for this guy, and they're like, hey, I I helped that guy get there, and he doesn't play, and he transfers out, and then they're upset. Like he kind of talked about that. Like there could be a lot of that stuff happening too. And if you have you know competing collectives, um, yeah, it's all stuff's kind of crazy. Before we go any further, um, just want to let everyone know, hey. Please subscribe to any of the channels you're watching on. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. You can follow both of us on Twitter. Our Twitter handles are right up there on the screen. And, uh, you know, like the like the video, which is nice. It really helps to kind of grow the show. And if you have a USC friend, someone that loves the tr football team and they don't know about our show, let them know. 
Uh, we'll ca- try to keep doing these every Sunday night throughout the off season. We might move it around a little bit, but it's, it seems to be a good night for, you know, the people want to come in and view the show. Um, I did. Okay. So this is weird. I like doing like charity work shotgun, but I had like three events this weekend that were all like kind of USC uh, charity related on Friday. I did uh, work with Olive Crest. So I played in the golf tournament, the, the benefiting Olive Crest, which helps like, uh, you you know at risk at risk youth and Darnell Bing's a big part of the one in the Inland Empire, former USC safety. We're actually get we're trying to interview him this week, so we should get him on the show. Uh, so check that out on our YouTube channel. Uh, but I, I was a, a volunteer captain going out fishing with a bunch of the with the people that were donors and stuff. So that was kind of fun. But Darnell wasn't involved with that. It was more of an Orange County one. And then uh, on Saturday, Juju Smith Schuster, who USC fans should be familiar with, I went out to. I should have put a picture up. He had a luau at the Bonaventure Hotel in uh, downtown LA. A lot of former players were there. The hel- oh, Nicole has the helmet, but the helmet that we use in Tunnel Vision, I got at the last uh, Juju Smith-Schuster Foundation uh, dinner. I-, I bid on that one and-, and won that helmet. So it's signed by a bunch of former players. But it was cool. I got to talk to uh, Sam Baker and Dave Baker. Who, you know, Dave Baker's his dad. Who, he retired mm-hmm. as the, uh, he was the head of the, the for the, call it, I mean, the uh, NFL Hall of Fame. Um, you know, the Canton stuff. So he was always cool. They, the guy would knock on the door or whatever to, to give you your, your yellow, uh, vet, you know, uh, blazer and stuff and getting into the hall of fame. Uh, but it's cool to talk to Sam. Um, he's just kind of being a full-time dad. Now I saw Darnell Bing, you know, Juju was there, a bunch of, a bunch of former players. And, uh, then this morning I ran the, the, I raced the tour to pier or was, uh, like a guest instructor on the tour to pier. It's like a stationary bikes. There's like 400 bikes at the Manhattan Beach Pier. And Heath Gregory, a friend of mine, who's a big USD booster, is one of the founders of that. And like Mike Bone, who lives in Manhattan Beach, he's been involved in the event. His son, I think I think it was his son that was, or his daughter was uh, riding in it. And I saw him this morning and talked to him for a little while. In the morning, they had Andy Enfield, who was up on the stage as one of the uh, instructors. I should have been an instructor when when he was on there, but that's fine. Um, I was like one of the satellite stages. I wasn't on the main stage, but so Andy Edfield was up there, and he, I brought one of the players. I forget who he said, but it was cool. I got to talk to to, to Mike a little bit. Super nice guy. Um, that's good thing was going. So a lot of like USC kind of stuff going on, but you know, it, and it's funny, like just even talking to Mike Bone and you know him asking me questions about how the site's going. I'm like, it's going great. Thank you for hiring Lincoln Riley. Basically, you know, like that's been helpful. Um, it, you can just see the, like the expressions on his face. It was just like, they seem like they're happy, you know, like they, they know things are going the right direction, you know? And, uh, you know, he came into a, a difficult situation. There was a lot of turmoil and stuff going on and they still have a lot of work to do. I think they would all admit that, but, um, it seems like, you know, it's one of those things that's positive and going the right direction. So I, it was good to see, I, know, I just want to let people know it was good to see Mike and, uh, uh, he's, he's a good dude and uh, I'm glad uh, for his success in there. Yeah, you're a busy man, uh, as always. <laughs> uh, I did some charity work as, as well, but it was in a little bit different way. I was covering some games of some not very good teams uh, earlier this weekend. So I, I consider that's that charity, charity work. work as well. yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> you did Ivy League baseball? Like, come on, man. I was like, hey, Ivy League's legit. You know, Penn, Penn lost uh, to, to Columbia with some good games this weekend. And Penn has a chance to be an at-large team. They're on the bubble. We'll okay. see how things go the next week as other conference tournaments plays out. And if uh, if they lose a bid, 
unlike USC baseball, who is nowhere close to the bubble, who's not eligible because they finished last in the Pac-12, did not make the inaugural Pac-12 tournament, which I will be at this week in Scottsdale. If anyone's out there, come say hello. Come say uh, hello. We, toss yeah. some, we toss some USC football. But uh, it should be really fun. I'm mean, really excited about this event, something that's been a long time in the making. Uh, but it was really disappointing that I believe it was two weekends ago, USC was basically eliminated already, and they end up finishing last. They go, I think it was 8-22 and 22 in conference play. They started off pretty strong this season against a you know a, a relatively light schedule. Not anything the coaching staff could do about that because they were supposed to open with Miami, and Miami backed out. Miami is one of the top teams in the nation this year. And also the Dodgertown Classic, which USC is always in with UCLA and a couple teams, usually from out of the area. That fell apart as well because of the Dodgers, uh, I was told. So they had to replace both those series with, you know, basically whoever they could find. And that ended up being Wagner. And I, I can't remember who they opened the season with. I think Santa Clara, who ended up being okay. But, yeah, so they started off. You know, strong against a, a light schedule, but once conference play hit, you know, they really struggled after winning their opening series against UCLA, who's going to make the NCAA tournament once again as well. All right. Well, let's uh, let's try to do some questions. I'm going to – okay, this is a little bit new technology uh, when Keely was on. By the way, I'm going to change the intro. The, the guy that I was working with, he's been really busy, but we'll change the intro. Um, so we'll, we'll get that going sometime this summer. Uh, whenever we put new technology, Keely would always be like, and you're just going to try it on the show. She was always like, freaking out and stuff. Uh, but let's see if this works. Well, behind the scenes, that's because Ryan, when we show up and we're there 15 minutes before, you know, or five minutes before, Ryan be like, you know what? I'm going to try this different today. I'm like, what? <laughs> We've been here for 30 minutes. We could have did a trial run. No, no, no. Let's wait for the show. Let's we'll see if we get just some time. Let's out there. <laughs> All right. Let me see if this works. Oh, look at that. It popped up there. Uh, so this is from... AKA Boone three two one. Will all the transfers uh, deter any twenty twenty three recruits from coming to USC? Examples: wide receivers, DBs, etc. Good question. Yeah, I think it is a good question, and you know, it depends on the positioning. Um, you know, if USC were was to get in the the uh, time available for each player, you know, you look at some of the guys, and they, you know, Mario Williams, he has you know, basically a full allotment of avail of, of eligibility left. He played one year, so he has four years to play three. You know, that's a guy you look at and be like, that guy's going to be in front of me for a couple years. But if you bring in a guy like Austin Jones or Travis Dye, if you're running back, I'm not deterred by that guy. That guy's going to be gone next year because he's a graduate transfer. He only has one year of eligibility. So I know he's going to be gone and the spot's going to be open. So it depends on how much time those guys have available and if that guy's going to be a starter immediately. If you you know if you look at it and you're behind Romello Height and, hey, he's a younger guy, has multiple years of eligibility, uh, so he comes in and he's going to be a starter for a couple years and then you have to factor in is this guy going to get drafted? I mean, Jordan Addison comes in. And he he has, uh, I believe, maybe three years of eligibility remaining uh, because he's 2020. Two. Oh, yeah, that one doesn't count. But he's going to go pro. Like, he's going. Yeah. yeah. And, and so we had a question from SC Neal. Is Jordan Addison a one and done? And as long as he is healthy, yes. I mean, yeah. he would be a, he would have been a first-round pick likely. I mean, there were a ton of first-round picks this year that were wide receivers. Um, you know, he likely would have been in that group this season. And – you know, next season, he should be one of the top guys in that mix as well, as long as he's healthy. But we saw, you know, some guys that were banged up. What, it, you know, did it affect their draft stock? Not a ton. You know, we saw Jamison Williams, Trayers ACL, and 
get picked in the top 15, I believe it was. So I think he's definitely going to be a one and done as long as he produces. And we had another question of, will this hurt his draft stock? Because he's not going to get as many balls as he does at you as he did at Pitt. He got 144 targets. 144 targets. <laughs> he's not going to get uh, that at USC. You know, and that's t- the type of number that Drake London had. It was very similar as, hey, these are the featured guys. Now, they moved Jordan Addison around. They put him in motion. They did some different things. They would line him up in the slot on one side and line him up on outside on the other side. You know, they would move him around a good bit. They put him in the backfield, did some, you know, some of that uh, orbit motion as well where you swing a guy in then run him back out. A lot of different things to try to get him in individual matchups, whereas USC – just said, put whoever you want on Drake London. We're still going to throw the ball to him, and you can't stop it. Um, they did it a different way, but it was very similar as, hey, we're going to this guy. That's our guy. That's our, our big weapon. That's what we got. We don't have a bunch of other weapons. Whereas at USC this year, there will be a lot of weapons, and you're not going to be able to double-team one guy, but also you're going to spread the ball out a little bit more um, because if they do try to double-team Jordan Edison, okay, we have other options. We're going to you know, beat you with a bunch of other guys until you go, crap, we can't double-team this guy. This other guy's beating us. So I, I, And scouts aren't looking at your production. They're looking at your potential. Yeah, it, it, there's I mean, there's a little bit of both, but it's much more. This is the scale here. You know, it's it's potential and what you can do there versus, you know, what the production that you, you've had so far in college. That's why, you know, you see guys from the, the lower ranks or guys that, you know, that are three or four stars, in, you know, not the five stars. It's about the potential um, as well as what have you shown so far on film? And he's already put that film out there from Pittsburgh. So as long as he comes to USC and does some of the similar things, he doesn't have to do it five times a game. If he shows, hey, I can do that in one or two uh, plays, like, yeah, that's the same guy we saw last year. Yeah, and if they didn't like his potential, he could have come out this year after winning the Bolitnikov and wouldn't have been drafted high if they didn't like it after that. So, he, you know, that's that's it doesn't the production doesn't matter as much, you know, as far as like they want to see the potential, like Shotgun said. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Here's a question, another YouTube one. What do you think is going to happen the day? Oh, this is DM49ers. What do you think is going to happen the day a player gets a big NIL deal and because uh, I think he means become academically ineligible for the season? Yeah, and that's why, you know, um, I think I wonder if that's built into some of these actual legit NIL contracts. You know, if I'm Beats or I'm, uh, what was it? Um, old Nate, American Eagle with, and with Keaton Slovis, is there a something in there where, you know, if you don't do your part, whether it's you become academically ineligible, you do something off the field, I'm sure there are caveats in those in those contracts to say we're going to get out of it. But um, if it's a pay for play deal, like some of these collectives, you know, if you're the player, you got to try to get that money up front as much as you can. But you know, are they going to be able to? to back out of those, you know, if a player wants to transfer, what is, I don't know the language on those contracts. I haven't seen one of them uh, myself yet, but you know, that's going to be the interesting thing. But yeah, I think that whoever's putting the money up 
if you're academically ineligible, I'm not trying to pay you for that. You didn't do your part to uphold this contract, in my opinion. But those are the the type things that are had to go into these contracts, and that's why it's it's so crazy. Some of these things are being thrown out where you're not technically supposed to have a true agent, um, you know, a guy that's going to work on your NFL contract, you know, so you have to have a separate agent for your marketing stuff for NIL. And then you get, I don't know, it's, it's kind of crazy with all those things. You're asking an 18, 19 year old to go through a contract or his parents. And, you know, if it's someone's blue collar, do they have the experience with those or is someone trying to take advantage of someone? All those type things is, is what uh, is being discussed behind the scenes with all the NIL stuff. Yep. Uh, let's uh, put up some comments up. This is fun. I got my new little toy here. I can put up comments on the screen <laughs> as we're going. Uh, let's see. So this is from Alex. Uh, what is the last day a transfer can enroll uh, slash commit to USC and be eligible to play next season? So the May 1st deadline to enter the portal came and went. So basically, if you're in the portal, you were in the portal before May 1st, and then you transfer to USC, you'll become eligible. USC just started classes uh, May 14th or 15th in the middle of last week. Um, there'll be another summer session. You have to be, you have to be enrolled, uh, at least in the fall. So I think it would be a late August sort of thing, um, to be eligible, but they, I, I think they could transfer at sometime, you know, in August and still be eligible to play that season as long as they were in the portal before May 1st. Yeah. It's all about the school calendar then very similar with the whole ordeal, with Caleb Williams, is can he get in? Is he going to be eligible for spring practice? You know, when is he? When's the drop? You know, the ad drop date for classes, all those type things. Same situation of that. If you guys remember that from January, it's you know just getting in before the last day to add and drop classes, basically um, to build your schedule so that you have classes and that you are attending because you have to be an active attendee to be a student athlete um, for any any sport. All right. Uh, uh, Brendan wanted to know, is Facebook getting looked at? I, it is. And I'm going to put a question from him up there. I, it's This is cool. I can put up, I can see both Facebook and YouTube questions in the same little window. So this is nice. Uh, people don't care, but like I, new little toys, I like to play with them. <laughs> do you think USC, yeah. Do you think USC took a look at General Booty? Uh, would have been nice to get him. Um, the Booty family, very familiar with USC. Obviously, John David Booty, Josh Booty was around a whole bunch. Um General is which I forget which brother. It's one of the brothers. Like it's like the I guess the like JD would be his uncle, right? I believe John David Booty. I think I so. don't. I just knew he was in the family. Um, yeah. He was he was at uh, J Sarah, I believe it was down in San Juan Capistrano. He moved to a couple of different high schools. He ended up at a junior college in uh, Texas, I believe it was. So I think he's committed to looking at his page. If we just pulled it up, he's committed to Oklahoma right now. Maybe that's someone that would have fit, you know, as you know, kind of a, a bridge guy between the classes. But I think he would have been ended up. The, I think he's the same class as Miller Moss and Caleb Williams. So I don't know that that would have fit really well. I, he just coming out of high school, he wasn't, you know, the the caliber that USC was looking for, for from a quarterback. So USC, you know, obviously there's a high standard there. And looking at our 24-7 page, it has his connections. His father is Abram Booty, who's the former LSU wide receiver. His yeah, uncle okay. is Josh Booty. Uh, yeah. So John David there, I believe, is also his uncle. Uh, but he went from J.C. I think Abram's the, from, might be the older brother. I, I can't remember, but I, no. I know Josh pretty good and, you know, those guys. But 
I don't think I ever met Abram. Yeah, he was a guy that went from Texas to Southern California, moved to a different couple couple different schools to try to find playing time as part of it. And he had some has some skills. And hey, maybe he's even you know developed a good bit for the last couple of years. But I don't think it was anybody that was really on USC's radar the last couple of years. All right, we got a YouTube question. Um, this is from Gabe. Uh, will Eric Gentry be a pure edge? Or will he play in more of a hybrid role? What do you think, Shotgun? I mean, that's going to depend on the coaching staff, the way they look at it now. Listening to Gerard, talking with him a little bit, I, he's looking at him more as a hybrid guy. You know, he can attack off the edge, but he's not a pure edge guy either. So I think he can develop and become more of a – three, four outside linebacker where you, you ask him to blitz some, but you're also asking him to drop in coverage and do some more. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not saying that that's the defense the USC is going to run, but that type of linebacker where you're doing a little bit of both. Um, so I think he has that versatility. And I think that's what you're looking for out of a player like that. Super high potential for him. Yeah. High ceiling player. Definitely still has to add some weight. And once he adds some weight, if he can, you know, remember John Houston struggled to, to put on any additional weight. But if he puts on some weight, how does that affect his body? How does that affect his movement, his lateral movement? Do you need to then keep him in the middle? Or then is he, you know, it does need to become a full-time either edge or middle guy based on how his body develops? Yeah, I think the, the development part that you mentioned is the number one thing. Like he's going to fill out. I think they're going to figure out what role they want him to play, but it's there's going to be some development in the meantime, but I mean, he's, there's a, so much potential there. I think it's a great get for USC. Uh, let's go. This is Graham on YouTube. Which tight ends do you think will have the highest contribution to the offense this season? Cause it looks like some guys can play some different roles. Shotgun. Hmm, that is a, that's a good question right there. Uh, Graham, who are the great question there. I mean, loved what I saw from Lake McCree in, yeah. in the little bit. But he wasn't active, very active during the spring. You know, he was dealing with some injuries and stuff. And we had a question earlier. Um, is he going to be available, I believe, this summer? And, you know, I, I assume he will be. I don't think it was anything yeah. that was going to keep him out for a long time. But, you know, does that open the door for someone else? You know, and who is the person to step in? Uh, obviously, Michael Trigg being an Ole Miss, I think that opens up some doors as well. So who's going to step in and be become the guy? And I think it's, it's an open competition. I think it's going to be one of the more intriguing competitions of fall camp, actually. Yeah. Josh Josh Follow is a guy that has been buried on the depth chart. I love that guy. Has a, a ton of potential coming out of high school, showcased in the first couple of games or the first season for himself. Freshman, I think, caught a touchdown or two his freshman year. And then it's just been MIA basically since then. He's had yeah. some injuries. Has de dealt with some stuff off the field. Just graduated. Congratulations to him and all the other graduates at USC. So is he a guy that you know pops up and has a big season with a new coaching staff? And hey, they they find a way to utilize him different, or you know he just really bonds with the tight ends coach and you know figures out a way to be used. I don't know. We'll see. But you know that's the one to keep an eye on as well. Um, but it should be an intriguing uh, battle, I think. Let's go. I mean, I love Harold here. Look at the, the sunglasses in the picture. Love it. Um, do you guys think improvements were made to improve the defense? Uh, going against so many good wide receivers should help the defensive backs. 
improvements to, to improve the defense. Do I think that there's additions from the transfer portal and whatnot? Yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, Shane Lee, I think, is going to be a dude for USC. Romello Height is a guy that I've been intrigued by from the first time I watched his highlight clips um, from Auburn. So those two guys alone, you bring in two SEC linebackers. One was a freshman All-American at Alabama. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement there and has already become a leader for that defense. I think that's a big improvement. Now, USC is losing a ton from their defense. So they improved where they were at from, you know, when the coaching staff took over, by, you know, when the, the roster basically was reset without everyone declaring for the draft and whatnot. So they've improved from that moment. Are they going to be improved from last year? That's going to be the big question. You know, obviously there's big concerns about the defensive line, the depth there, and the secondary. You know, there's been, you know, big concerns there because you basically lost all your starters from the secondary. And who's going to step up? Xavier Alford is a guy you, you would just look at and say, made some plays at the end of the season. Maybe he's going to be the leader of that group. Could be. He's He's been out. You know, yeah. he missed the entire spring. Makai Blackman has come in has been a big piece for them, and I think he's going to be a big leader. And, he, you know, I talked to him right after he committed, and he said that's one of the things he wanted to do when he came to USC. So, you know, I, I think there's pieces there. Still got to see where that group gels and where it actually finishes up when you add a guy like Gentry and you add a couple more pieces to that defensive group uh, to see, you know, how that shakes up and, you know, is there – is there enough bodies to create that competition you're really looking for to where, all right, I got to be on it every single day at practice to take my game to another level where that guy's taking my spot. I think those are the type of things that you hope that the, the program eventually gets to. Yeah. Um, speaking of depth, uh, let's go to another Facebook. Once I started putting up Facebook questions, we're getting more Facebook questions. So that's good. So <laughs> we're showing you love Facebook. Uh, so this is from Desi. Will USC sign another quarterback for the upcoming season? Um, only two scholarship guys right now, Caleb Williams and uh, Miller Moss. I don't know. Um, I mean, you don't need to get a stud quarterback. You just want a body. Potentially, Mo Hassan could be back from his injury by the start of the season, but I wouldn't be banking on that with an Achilles. So, I mean, look, look here's the big thing. It, it's not a huge deal as far as on Saturdays for the offense. Because how often have you gotten down to your third quarter? It happens, and that's a it is a concern. And the fact that Mohassan could eventually come back during the season, um, so you don't feel like you're going to get an attrition level of hey, we lose somebody in week two, we lose somebody in week six, you know, then we got nobody. You might have him back by you know by midseason, he might be ready to go, and he's a quality former walk on, started games in the SEC, all that type of stuff. So that might be a good, a really good third option. But you are really concerned starting in fall camp. Is he ready to go for the defense? Because that's what your third-string quarterback, that's his primary job, is to lead that scout team uh, offense against the defense, give a great look. You know, if you got Sam Darnold waiting in the wings for you and that's the guy you're facing as a defense, your defense is going to get better every day yeah. because they're going to be challenged. Yeah. If he you was have... like the scout team player of the year, I think, his freshman year. Yeah, right? yeah. exactly. And – now, if you have, and no offense to any of the walk-on quarterbacks that USC has had in the past, but if you have someone like Brad Aoki, who's one of their walk-on quarterbacks, is like 5'7", does not have a, a, a legit arm, you know, not a guy that can press the ball down the field to really put some pressure on your safeties or your cornerbacks or, you know, fitting a ball in the hole. If you don't have a guy who does that, then, okay, your, your safety jogs over and can make that interception and guys are running half, you know, 
half-speed routes or whatever, and you don't get a true look, that's not going to get you ready for, okay, you go up and you, you face – you know, an Aaron Rodgers or something in a, in a conference game or you face a Justin Herbert and he puts that whole shot on you and your safety's going, wait, I've never, I haven't never seen that before because you didn't get a good look in practice. So you had no chance of seeing anything close to it. So that's why that third string quarterback is so important. Can you make it without it? Yes. Do you want to make it without it? No, because one, there's the fear where you get Maryland from a few years back where they went through, I think it was five quarterbacks ended up with a, walk-on linebacker, I think, who had played some in high school. Um, you don't want that to happen. They do have Brendan Costello, who was a scholarship yeah. quarterback at Oklahoma State initially, um, and, you know, he came, on to, came to USC as a walk-on. But he's also more of a dual-threat guy and can really challenge a defense. You know, if you're facing a, a dual-threat quarterback, you can face, challenge the defense with a scout look there. But he's not a guy that has that, that cannon of an arm that's going to push it down the field either. So. Yeah. Uh, we have a question from YouTube, Jeffrey, when he practices in, in August, be open to the public. Um, since the spring ones weren't, I highly doubt that the fall ones will be, we don't know what, you know, our availability would like, if we're going to be able to go in or anything. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. And he, and, and blaze on YouTube, will there be a salute to Troy? I haven't heard about this one. Have you heard anything about this shotgun? I I have not, but I assume because that's been the tradition, I believe that, you know, new coaches come in and usually they don't change the tradition immediately. Sometimes yeah. you wait a, wait a year or something like, all right, I'll try this thing out and see how it goes, and then maybe we'll change it. Um, but uh, I, I think that there would probably be that, especially, you know, with the anticipation excitement, an event like that can lead to people opening up their pocketbooks. So I think yeah. the USC would probably want to do that for sure. It was definitely Real a good quick, event. Go yeah. Yeah. Outside of the Real Sark quick, year. <laughs> I mean, that was a real, real good event for news, breaking news. Um, going back one, uh, KU asked, can you elaborate why depth is important? I keep hearing this is as you SC's Achilles heel. Well, one, it's a, it's a violent sport. Guys get injured. And if you have a guy like Jordan Addison, that's your number one receiver. And, or you have Drake London, that's your number one receiver last year. And he's so important to your offense and he goes down suddenly you don't have that piece. You saw what happened with USC's offense falling off. So that's why depth is important because you're always going to have some attrition in the game of football just because of the banging of bodies back and forth. And then you never know uh, whether someone mm. wants to transfer, someone has an academic issue. You know, with 85 guys, you know, that roster slims down to, you know, 65 uh, 50 to 65 USC had what it was 40 something at the end of the last year in that Cal game. So, you know, that's why depth, building depth is important. Um, okay. This doesn't make, so Chris said that there was a date announced a week ago and then Steve is saying June 18th at 6 PM that that would not be salute to. So that would be, if that's, I didn't see this, but if that's the event, usually it would be at the end of fall camp. This would be a very different kind of salute to Troy if it's in the middle of, you know, middle of June. So I, sorry, I didn't see that one. Um, yeah, I haven't seen that either. So yeah, uh, let's For see. My cursory, my cursory, um, Google search glance of, of Google search. Yeah. I did not see it. Okay. Uh, let's go to bright. So yeah. So then maybe it is the draw. I don't know. I I'm sorry. I missed that one. Uh, how much this is from Bryce on YouTube. How much of a role should we expect, uh, Ray Leak Brown to play? I'm having Heisman dreams. But I said the same thing about Stephen Carr. 
who would say any Heisman dreams about Stephen Carr? Who would I don't say know. something like that? No one I would ever have on my show, so I don't know. Oh, wait. Uh, anyone who saw him as a as playing in seven-on-seven seven tournaments and seeing him in high school and seeing what he did initially as a freshman might have said that. And Relique Brown, I don't know about a Heisman dreams because it's going to be difficult at USC if there's so many weapons. You know, yeah. there's always that that challenge. Um, but what can he do in year two, year three? Maybe he's a guy that you use in so many different ways, similar to Reggie Bush, that he he has that electricity about him, and that's what you're. That's one of the things that gets you on a Heisman list, and people catches people's eyes around the country is you make some electric plays. So Relique Brown could. Um, how much of a role do we expect him to play this year? Honestly, the the addition of Jordan Addison might actually Relique Brown may be one of the guys that actually is affected by that because he has that electricity, and he's a guy that you want to move around. Well, Jordan Addison's the kind of guy that you're going to want to move around before you want to do it with a freshman. Now, hey, you're going to have different packages, different plays for different guys and stuff too, but I think that he would have fit into that role in a similar way that that you're going to use Addison, I think. So that might actually hurt his playing time a little bit, um, the addition of Jordan Addison there. So I, I hadn't really thought of that one before, but, you know, getting that question, I think he'll still be – he'll get his chances. All now, right. is that is that an Adoree – Iman Marshall, hey, we're going to give you a couple opportunities early, and as you build, as the season goes along, we'll add more and more. I think that could definitely be the case for him. Steve did just tweet me. Uh, he said he tweeted it to me. So save the date. Join Coach Lincoln Riley for a celebration of USC football. Salute to Troy. Saturday, June 18th uh, at the track stadium, 6 p.m. Meet and greet with players and the coaching staff, player autographs, special appearances by the band, song girls, traveler, and a special, special message from – Athletic director Mike Bone. So they are doing Salute Detroit. It's going to be a different uh, format than before, which, you know, I do something like that. But it typically would be like, it was like one of the last practices of fall camp. And then the players would like come over in their uniforms. I think they would go shower and come in and it's like a dinner kind of thing and everything. So, um, yeah. Sounds so like an adjustment that uh, Lincoln Riley and staff have made. Like, we're not doing this during fall camp. We're going to be too focused on Rice. We're going to be too focused on Stanford. We're not preparing, yeah. stopping to do a, a meet and greet type of thing. So you, I think when coaches are a little bit paranoid about anyone finding out about anything, those type of coaches, which Lincoln Riley is one of those, that's definitely the case. Um, you can tell that from his Oklahoma days and the fact that, you know, banning the media when the student paper reported on Spencer Rattler versus Caleb Williams snap counts, that he's a, very protective of those type of things. Mm. He doesn't want distractions. You know, he's very, you know, it is. this goes back to the organizational skills of Lincoln Riley and his staffs, and we've seen it on the recruiting trail over and over, people talking about how organized USC has been versus the past. And one of those things that coaches that are very strict and, you know, very, uh, you know, building block like that, you know, they don't want any distractions. So they want all those type of things done before the season, done, you know, away from their practice time because they want it all lined up in order as they get ready for that first game of the season. Uh, Carolina on uh, Facebook said, wish you guys would give earlier notice on your webcast since you're not a regular weekly schedule. So I would, yeah, I we, we'll try to put it out uh, a little earlier but typically it's a 7 p.m. on Sunday sort of thing. If you go to uscfootball.com during the day on Sunday, you should be able to see a link when we put the uh, the story up there. But I would bank on, you know, the 7 p.m. on Sunday kind of thing, uh, Carolina. But, you know, appreciate that. We'll, we'll try to um, 
you know, kind of put it out there a little bit uh, earlier. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where I would plan on kind of doing it. Um, I I will be at the Pac-12 baseball championship game, which starts at 7 p.m. local time in Arizona. I don't know if they're on Pacific time right now or not because of daylight savings. I don't remember. They always they always get messed up by it. But that is going to be uh, next Sunday at uh, 7 p.m. So I will not be available for so next. week. We won't have a shotgun next week, but we'll probably have Nicole back and Chris, and you know maybe we'll get a guest or something. Uh, Chris on Facebook, are, so he's talking about Romello Height and Corey Foreman. Are they expected to play the same position, or will we, will we see Foreman with his hand on the ground? In the That's spring, the they played the same position. Yeah. Exactly. That's the position he played during the spring game. That's when we got to see him most, um, you know, lining up. That's the position in drills that he went through. So, yes, um, will we see him with his hand on the ground? I'm sure they'll use that a little bit. And I think especially when you get into third and long situations, you get what the previous staff called their Greyhound um, package, which was all your pass rushers. Okay, now you start moving guys around a little bit. You know, do you have a true nose tackle or are you putting a guy like Corey Foreman inside? If you have two guys inside is Corey Foreman, that's when I think you'll see him more likely have his hand on the ground. But his his, uh, normal positioning will be what you saw this spring, it looks like, with Romella Height, unless you see a position change. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, I'm just putting up some comments, uh, going back and some of the, I like putting up people's comments. It's always fun. Uh, I know, Ryan. I know. YouTube touchdown USC. Will Lake McCree be back this summer? You kind of yeah, talked that was about one, that. That was the one I mentioned, uh, the comment we got earlier, but as far as we know that he did not have a, a serious injury that would require surgery or anything. So I would expect him to be back this summer. Unfortunately, we will not be allowed to watch any of the player run practices or anything, which we had done. Previous years in the past, that has been shut down. And even the, the interview sessions that we were able to get after player run practices in the past, the past couple of years when they lock, cut it, kind of locked us out of the, locked, closed the gates and locked us out um, from those, those aren't going to be allowed either. So we're going to have a little bit less interaction this summer with, with players. Uh, AKA Boone, uh, is this the most talented on, this is on YouTube, is this the most talented wide receiver group? in the last 20 years. Um, I mean, outside of Addison, okay, Mario Williams, I, I guess the transfers are more proven than the guys on USC's roster. I mean, not even Mario Williams did some nice things, but yeah, they're Brendan not right. Like, Brendan yeah. Rice did some nice things without a true quarterback. Terrell Bynum's the only guy that's actually proven anything. He's yeah. the only one I believe that's been an all conference type player. He was all uh pack 12, two years ago, I believe it was 2020 season. Um, so could they be, they have an opportunity to be special and put up some special numbers, but that's, that's a tough group that you're looking at. You're looking at Pittman, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Tyler Vons, Drake London. You had that group. That was you also, good. you also look at Robert Woods, Marquise Lee, George Farmer. That's three number ones, basically. Um, now Farmer didn't pan I think out. Aguilar but, was on a team with those guys. Yeah. So. Aguilar was the young guy. So I'm going to go – I probably would go with that Robert Woods, Marquise Lee uh, group and whoever else was with them. Brandon Carswell, I believe, was there right before them, so maybe not him. But it just th- those two guys were super special in different ways. And I haven't got a chance to watch – re-watch some of Woody's uh, college film and highlights, but he was the guy that, that I thought of with Addison. 
you know, when I first saw Addison's clips, just the way that he knows how to get open, he just has that advanced ability where if there's a zone pocket, he knows that those are the type of things that Robert Woods did really well and does really well now, even though he's not the biggest guy, he's not the fastest guy. Now Addison's probably a little bit faster than Robert Woods. If, you know, from what I gather, just watching, ta- watching the highlights and stuff. So uh, that's the first guy that popped into my mind. But I, again, I have to go back and watch some Robert Woods uh, USC highlights to, to, to really be able to kind of compare those two guys. Uh, one of great names uh, on YouTube, Ganja Gorilla. What does this roster look like if Clay Helton was retained? Uh, who would be the starting quarterback? I mean, certainly wouldn't have guys Jackson like... Dart. Yeah, Jackson, Jackson Dart, Dart would probably yeah. still be there. Uh, Michael Trigg might still be there. But you wouldn't mm-hmm. have all these additions. You think Trigg would have left either way? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Well, it, who knows? Um, That's a tough one. It's it. like, but it, it's a it hypothetical. Would, you know how I feel about those, but um, it would be way know. different than what it's right now. Yes. Yeah. USC would still get some transfers, but, but they, they would be USC. Like, yeah. USC might have also lost some of their key players looking for a better situation. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he put up a siren, so I got to put this question up. Eddie, how many sacks will Solo have? 10 or 30? <laughs> yeah, I, I skipped each of Eddie's solo questions. Oh, sorry. Uh, okay. Doc, he's not going to have 10 sacks or 30, I don't believe. You know, if he has a couple of sacks, if he gets to five or six, you're going to see consider that a great year for Solo. If he gets one, he gets a tackle. Let's start there, you know, for a guy who hasn't played in his career, he's played one snap. Let's start there, and then before we worry about 30 sacks in a season. All right. Uh, do you want to do any, uh, like, rapid-fire uh, ones? I think I got I put up a ton of these on the screen. I'm very happy with myself. So, everyone, you know, like, <laughs> I'm going to go to bed happy knowing that I put up a bunch of comments and I put a bunch of questions up on the screen. Um, yeah, we're already, like, eight after the hour. Do you want to do, like, some rapid-fire sure. ones? or This this right right up your uh, wheel alley, Ryan. Uh, Jeffrey want to know, does USC need the Pac-12 or does the Pac-12 need USC? No, the Pac-12 needs USC. That's like ridiculous. That's not, well, that's not a question. Come on. Like USC does not need the Pac-12. All right. Besides the solving the NCAA, how do we save college football? So I think USC could be the savior for the Pac-12. And I, I don't want to be hyperbolic or anything, but like potentially – the, the problem with the college football is it becomes such a regional sport, right? It's like such Southeast and then you have like Ohio State or whatever and like some Notre Dame stuff. If you have a USC power on the West Coast, I think it might help kind of bridge everything and be more of a national program. Like Oklahoma continues to be good and goes to playoffs and having like a West Coast presence and even like, or- like say Oregon, Dan Lanning gets them rolling. But if USC is like a top five perennial team, I think that spreads things out where it becomes more of a national sport again because it's just so regionalized right now. Um, I think that certainly will help. As far as the the money and all that stuff, I think it's going to like play itself out. I think it's going to – the market – you know, it's a free market and like it's going to reset. Like Nick Saban said, like are you going to be paying all these recruits that might not even play or might not even want to be recruited by the, the coaches? I think some of that stuff is going to come back down to earth a little bit, but yeah, you know, that's just kind of my thoughts. We'll see. But I, I think making it more of a national sport, you need USC to be good. So USC could be a linchpin in kind of helping the sport. Uh, mine is to save college football relegation. That would be great. Oh, uh, I mean, you I just like have soccer, so many more. Yeah. 
you have like so many more people that are invested, um, you know, with that. It's never going to happen, but that would be uh, tremendous. I, I think the actual thing that could benefit college football, I don't think it needs saving. I think it's just a, a, an adjustment period. It'll happen. There's been changes in the game for years and years and years and years, dating back to when the president had to say, clean this stuff up or I'm canceling the sport. You know, what was that, Truman? Uh, or even before that? I don't know. Way, way back in the day because it's how many deaths there actually were in college football. But the one thing that I think that would really benefit college football is a true president, czar, commissioner of the sport that sets the rules, not the NCAA, and everyone agrees, all right, we're giving the power, ceding the power, you know, to this person to do what is best for the sport. Because there's so many times the commissioners of the conferences are doing what is best for their members not doing what's best for the sport overall. So I think if there was one person in charge rather than, you know, your collective groups that get together and, you know, that come in, no. You have one person that says, this is what's best for the sport. This is the way it's going to happen. Yeah. What are um, next? Someone said you had an NIL deal with lids. So I put that up there. <laughs> if I was going to have an NIL deal, that would be a great one for me to have. Yes. Uh, Car Carter Monroe and, uh, and Mark asked uh, questions about the, the new – guy that USC picked up from San Jose State, the defensive line transfer. He's a preferred walk-on, I believe. So I haven't got a chance to look at his tape over the weekend or really anything. Either, yeah. um, but I don't think that that's a guy you're looking at to come in and start or anything for you. So not necessarily – it's going to be an extra death piece. And, hey, if he can contribute for you and become, you know, a guy that you can trust as a preferred walk-on, even better. But he's just going to be there to, to give that offensive line a look. Jeffrey Thompson and – Nothing free asked questions similar or vain. Jeffrey said, Mike Garrett wants to let a player wear number 20. Will Carson Palmer allow Jordan Addison to wear number three? And someone else said, will Addison be granted permission to wear number three? If not, it'll be funny to see him in Keaton Slovis's number nine. Yeah, that's an interesting one. It, it's funny, like talking to Darnell Bing last night. If we get if we get Darnell on the show this week, the plan is we're going to get him on Tuesday. I'll definitely ask him about like the process of getting the number 20. Uh, you know, Mike Garrett giving him permission. And I could ask him about that with, uh, you know, a Jordan Addison, Polinikoff Award winner. Could he? Carson Palmer has been around a little bit more. Um, I don't think he would have any sort of issue with something like that. Just he's a pretty chill dude. He's not going to be someone that's like, that's my number. I won the Heisman. Like, no one's going to wear it. Like, I can't, I mean, maybe. I don't know. I haven't talked to him about it. But his personality, I think he would, if if that was a thing, and they wanted to do that. Jordan, Jordan didn't want to switch numbers or whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I think Carson wouldn't be the roadblock there. There could be something else, but I, I wouldn't think it'd be Carson. So in USC's basketball numbers are not officially retired. I don't know if you know this, Ryan. They're not actually officially retired. They are honored. So okay. Max Agamopolo last year had the number, uh, I think it's 21. He had, you know, Harold Miner's number because the number's not retired. Um, and they officially said, hey, we're not going to give out any of these numbers anymore. And, and, you know, unless there's a special situation, we're going to try to treat it more like they're retired going forward. So if you may remember Jordan McLaughlin, who had a great postseason, war number 11, which was Bill Sharman's a Hall of Famer from USC. He got permission from the Sharman family, from Bill, I believe, Bill Sharman, and he wore that number and it was, it was granted to him. That was the big first recruit for Andy Enfield. Well, when Drew Peterson arrived at USC, he wore number 11, I believe, in high, at Rice or in high school one and wanted to wear that number. 
and someone in the Charmin family, because I believe Bill has passed uh, five or six years ago now. Uh, maybe it was that not that long. I can't remember how far. I'm terrible with the years. But someone in the family said, no, you're not allowed to wear that number. So he went through a couple different numbers before ending up w- with the number that he had. So, you know, it's interesting. Those numbers, it can depend on the mood of who's in charge of that number. So Carson Palmer, maybe he has a meet and greet with Jordan Addison. And Jordan Addison comes off uh, uh, as not a nice guy. And he goes, no, that guy's not wearing my number. Whereas, you know, Mike Garrett being the AD at the time and saying, hey, we need to get this kid in. What Can I help out in any way? And, you know, he wears number 20. Yeah, he can wear mine. I don't care. It'll help the program. So you never know how those things work out in that type of situation. The only number we know no one's going to be wearing is number five because it needs to be put up in the peristyle. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to put a question up from uh, Adrian. He said, uh, would either of you be interested in, in doing Pac-12 radio or Sirius XM? I'm so sick of Jeff Schwartz bias and Oregon Homer outlook every other day. We've both been on those. I think you did one more recently, right, Shotgun? Or? I was on Siri- I was on ESPNU uh, for Sirius XM uh, this past week talking about Jordan Addison. And then I was, I think, with Jeff Schwartz and them uh, maybe two weeks ago or something like that. Um, which they were like, hey, we're going to – my favorite is when I get on those shows and they tell me who the uh, who the hosts are going to be because they're in basketball season. They'll ask for me for to cover basketball, but if something football is happening and Jeff Schwartz is on there, I know we're talking football. Yeah. Uh, and I know we're going to talk football uh, with, with him or Ryan Lee for – you know, based on the host, you know how much of the other sport they want me to talk about versus how much football we're actually going to be talking about because they were like, hey, we're going to talk about some, uh, you know, big series – Oregon State, UCLA, some Pac-12 baseball. We didn't talk one one second of, of Pac-12 baseball <laughs> with, with with Jordan Addis or the previous one being, uh, you know, with with everything that's kind of played out with some of the conversations about where Jordan Addison might go. So those guys, yes, you know, that's part of radio is you're going to have your own biases. There's people on ESPN that have biases. You know, it's different. You know, there's different personalities. I think it's it's always great to listen to Jeff if you want to listen about offensive line play. Obviously, he knows that. He and his brother are both being uh, NFL players. So, you know, he has some great insights into that. But he's going to carry his his homerism with him along the way. And if that annoys you, then maybe you, you listen to it for a couple minutes, you turn it off, and you know, go or listen to what the topics will be and wait till the certain segment that you want to hear. I don't know. Yeah, but we're both on it a bunch. And, you know, uh, email into the show or tweet the shows and say, hey, we want to have uh, Ryan and Shotgun on more. Like, you know, <laughs> just let them know. But we, we go on there regularly. I never We never say no. If I can't do it, I'll... Shotgun will do his own. And if they ask me and I can't do it, I'll usually send it to Shotgun. So, yeah. I get the sloppy seconds. Uh, no. Well, you, you're your own. They, they have you on, too. Michael to, to wanted... To talk basketball or, or to talk uh, baseball. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm the guy, guy then. Michael on Facebook wanted to know what happened with the number three... The number 13 between Caleb Williams and he was talking about Michael Jackson. Um, I don't know if there's been a resolution to that yet. As far as I know, there hasn't been. But the fact that Lincoln Riley's coming in and his quarterback has wants the number 13, I'm assuming he's going to end up being it. I, I just assume that Caleb Williams is going to get that number. Yeah. I don't know if there's going to have to be some kind of um, payment or in some form or fashion or if they're just going to take it away from him. Because remember when, Link, when uh, excuse me, Lane Kiffin first came in, and he stripped guys of the number one because yeah. he said only superstars wear number one. You know, you, you got to be Mike Williams before you're wearing this. And Devon Flournoy, I believe it was, and um, something Bryant, uh, TJ Bryant, both were stripped of the number one. So, yeah. you know, coaches have the power to do that. You know, so we'll see, you know, where 
where does uh, where does Michael Jackson fit as far as what the the coaching on the coaching staff pecking order? I guess. All right, uh, Ryan, we had a question. Okay. If accused in the media of nil wrongdoing, is it better for a coach to fight back, a la Jimbo Fisher, or to remain silent like Lincoln Riley has done? What's your take on that one? I think that was an interesting question. By that is I mean, I guess it depends on – a lot of accusations come out there. Usually you're not seeing coaches throw other coaches under the bus. Now, Jimbo and – even though Jimbo worked for um, Nick Saban, they've had some history like that's not been positive. So I feel like there's a lot of emotion. He already came out against sliced bread earlier. That was, that was an epic <laughs> – uh, you know, Chuck had mentioned sliced bread, like the 25 or 30 million or whatever it was. Um, Jimbo had a you know press conference about that. To call a press conference just to call out, you know, the greatest college football coach that's ever walked the planet is, I mean, and he said probably 10 things that would be in like front page news uh, in there. I mean, about, he you know, maybe someone should go over and slap Nick Saban and stuff. Like some of this, stuff, like it was crazy. I don't think that was the right way to do things. Mike's live, you know, over there at the SEC, like they're, um, you know, trying to like keep it all in house. I like the way Lincoln Riley's handled things, you know, um, it's just, there's going to be, you can't respond to everything. Uh, and if there was like a specific, you know, thing, then, you know, if you're going to have a response, maybe it's more of a written one, uh, something that's more measured. There was so much emotion in Jimbo's thing. I mean, great for us. Like, it's, I mean, it's, that's amazing to listen to. I watched that thing live, all of it on Twitter. I was like, I'm watching this thing. <laughs> um, that was great. You know, you know, I don't really care, but it was like crazy stuff. Uh, but yeah, I, I would do it more the, the way Lincoln Riley's doing it. Me personally, um, than going out in like this emotional rant. Cause then you're opening yourself up to, to criticism. Like if you've done nothing wrong, you can like put out a statement or something like that. Like explaining, like, here's what happened. You know, this never, that never materialized, you know, whatever. Yeah, it, it all depends on the situation, I think. And, uh, you know, if it's a tampering situation and pretty much 95% of coaches are doing some tampering, whether it is, you know, truly illegal of the coaches to actually reach out to the players, I don't think that's happening very often. But, you know, they're checking in with those high school coaches when they're out, you know, recruiting the next wave. They're checking in with those seven-on-seven -seven coaches and saying, oh, how's so-and-so doing, uh, you know, at, at whatever school? And, oh, you know, he's struggling with this. Well, you know, we would have a spot for him if he did. That's technically not tampering, but then that coach goes and talks to that player and says, hey, you know, if, if things don't work out, you know, USC would have a spot or, you know, Colorado would have or whatever it may be. So, you know, if that's the case, then you're probably not going to say anything. If someone flat out calls you a cheater, then now you're probably going to have something to say. Yeah. Can uh, we do a couple more? We should probably get out of here. Yeah. Uh What's the biggest need for this team? Any other big names that USC could go after in the portal from Brendan Linehan? I mean, I think you feel pretty good about the roster up and down. Since spring football ended, the majority of players that have been added have been on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, they're, they're great defensive tackles don't grow on trees, but obviously if you could get somebody like that, if you get some more help, you know, at linebacker, I, I think... You pretty you bring in Addison. You're pretty set on offense. If you could get a third string court, you know quarterback, that's good too. Uh, almost any level of defense, like you could get some some more help with you know some depth there. And if you can get an impact player, that's great. I mean, like a guy like Eric Gentry, like he could be helpful with depth, but he could be a, a major impact player too. 
I'm a little higher on, you know, there, there's guys that are coming back, like, like a Tuli Tuli Pelotu is potential to be, you know, first team all Pac-12. And, you know, how does uh, Brandon Peely look after, you know, sitting out last year? He's he's big, but he's quick. He could be helpful. Like, you know, Solo has been mentioned a whole bunch of times. Uh, I, I think with the guys coming back, guys kind of returning or being contributors like Corey Foreman who didn't really do much. There's a bunch of guys I think that were on the roster that can go from like low level to zero contributing to major contributors. And then a whole bunch of the guys that they brought in. Uh, I think you could help with depth, but I, I'd probably focus more on the defensive side of the ball right now. I don't know what you feel, Chuck, on there. Yeah, I think the defensive line is still the biggest issue. That's where you would still like to add somebody, you know, one for depth, but also if you can find a true playmaker there. And Jermaine Lole was probably that guy, but, you know, it wasn't going to work out for USC. He ends up transferring to or committing to Louisville. So that's where he's going to end up the Arizona State transfer. Uh, but, yeah, there's still some spots where you want to at least add some depth and you would like to bring in someone who can compete for a starting role. And defensive line is the area where you don't – where you still – lack playmakers the most in my opinion yeah and mark asks a similar question are you surprised they haven't added a nose tackle through the porter uh, stanley taofu starting at nose tackle again doesn't fill me with confidence i think there's a couple other guys that, that probably would get in the mix before him even though he did start in the spring i think that you're, you're looking at your earl barquette you're looking at um um Tallini, uh to to get in that mix as well and then brandon peely I think he's still got to prove himself to the coaches, but that's the guy you're looking at and saying, we need that guy to come along. We need him to be a dude. And if he does, then that makes everything else fall into place a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, I want to put this one up. Uh, we can end on this one unless you have anything more. Um, from Philip, just a basic question. Is it way more fun uh, to be a USC fan uh, than it has been in the last many years? Are you guys excited to be covering USC football again? Um, yeah, we're not... We're, we're covering the team. We're not like fans of the team, but it is more, it's a lot more fun for me, uh, probably for you, Shotgun, when USC is good. Um, it's just, it's just better. I mean, when, when you guys are engaged, like we put a lot of work in to do these shows or write articles. And when the fans are engaged and they want to read or listen or watch any of the content we're creating, that's more fun for us. You know, we're, we're, I, we love the fan engagement. We love that the fact that there was, Four or 500 people watching live on YouTube tonight, you know, in, in the middle of May talking about USA football and all these questions and stuff coming on. Like, that's great. Like, we could be doing this and there could be like three people watching and, you know, we would still, we still have to do it because we're, that's our jobs. But like, it's way more fun when a whole bunch of you are, are caring about it. So, yes, when USC is good or looks like they're going to be good, it's a lot for, more fun for me to cover the team. It's a lot more fun with this community. And, you know, it's not as much of a community when people are like, ah, I'm going to find something better to do because this is too heartbreaking to me, or this is just, it's not good for my health. All those stories that we've heard over the last few years. So uh, th those type of things, yes, it's definitely going, it's, there's more excitement and that's more fun uh, for us. Definitely. Yeah. I do have a couple of, of quick ones, which I'll okay. answer as we go. Okay. Phil asks, why doesn't USC go to an eight game conference schedule so they can get more easy out of conference wins like the SEC does. That's not USC's uh, call. You know, they're in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 has to make that decision. Will the Pac-12 go to that? Maybe. But then you got to the, – the question then is, where's that extra game that you don't have? Where are you, Who are you going to play um, with a lot of those schedules already created for several years? So that's why they were hoping the Big Ten would do the same, go to eight-game conference schedule. And when that had happened, you had, the Pac-12 was like, eh, 
I guess we're not going to do that right now. Yeah. AKA Boone said, how can the Pac-12 have a fair championship game? I'll ask this for you, Ryan. If the divisions don't matter and not all, not everyone plays the same conference opponents. Yeah. So, I mean, everyone just misses two teams. They're going to likely change the scheduling. Uh, I love the pod idea where you have like a California pod, a Pacific Northwest pod and a Arizona pod or, you know, Arizona and, you know, mountain pod, desert mountain pod. And you play everyone in your pod, so all the California teams would play each other. And then you play three of the four from the other pods. So you still would miss two. And uh, I kind of like that one. They, they Getting rid of the divisions, I think, is smart. It, it would actually have changed in the last 11 years. They would have had a different opponent in the championship game five times. So almost half the time. Uh, but I think they can do it fairly. But right now, I think changing the schedule is going to take a little bit more. But that could be done by next year. This year, obviously, it's going to stay the same. Yeah, next year you could do it. Um, it. It's it's the way it is. Other conferences do the same thing uh, with, without having divisions. The Big 12 doesn't have divisions, so if I remember correctly. So they have the same type of issue. Um, but if you're looking at it in the pods, is an interesting idea. You could do it like the NFL, and you know whoever finishes first plays the first-place team. You play every team in one pod, and you play the first-place team in another pod or something like that. I don't know. You could do some different things with the pod situation. As yeah, long David as David Woods wanted to have like a, a, a schedule like that was open-ended at the end, and you could tweak it to like have the best teams play each other and stuff. Like that That's was called the Pac-12 Championship. <laughs> right, but it was a, he was saying even like the last couple games, like you make it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that'd be. Yeah, you can get creative if you wanted to. And a similar question in the Pac-12 era: the two teams with the two best conference records had no more than two conference losses. So is it safe to say now with no divisions that USC has to go at least eight and one to make the Pac-12 title game, or no worse than seven and two? What do you think, Ryan? I think seven and two could get you there. Uh, there's gonna. I mean, we've seen the Pac-12 just beat each other up a little bit. I, I don't think the North is gonna be. I think Oregon's going to lose some games like, you know, like Oregon state could be pretty good. You know, Washington state might be, but I think they're all going to be like six and three kind of teams. Like I don't, maybe Oregon puts it together because they got, do have a really talented roster and maybe they can go eight and one or seven, two. I don't think so though. I think it's going to be more of a, if USC goes seven and two, I think they'll be in the championship game. I think that would be enough. And last question from Rob B. And sorry, I couldn't get to all your questions. I couldn't even get them all in the dock tonight. But that's what happens when there's only two of us. Yeah, so we hello, have, we guys. Have to do. <laughs> With the addition of Jordan Addison, does that mean SC is going to lose several wide receivers from last year? No one has entered the port. No one entered the portal from the spring outside of Elijah Winston. I thought that was a really interesting statistic. Yeah, that you know that no one went in. Now, there is the possibility that someone is taken off the roster but kept that stays at USC to finish up their degree, you know, that rule that we've talked about in the war room and different things. Um, but the fact that no one else said, yeah, this staff isn't for me, I don't get along with this staff, it seems like everyone is bought in and everyone sees the light at the end of the tunnel with this new staff, and I think that's really interesting. So, hey, maybe USC loses some guys in the future. But right now, you know, we're still there's still trickling of guys entering the portal, even though, hey, they may not be eligible next year. Some guys are like, I just want to get out of the situation that not from USC, just across the nation. So I think it's really interesting that you haven't seen anybody from USC. And I don't think that the addition of Jordan Addison, it will mean that. I think it may mean that, you know, the the reason that I think it may tell us 
that we didn't see any receivers already leave when yeah. they've already brought in three guys is that they plan to spread the ball around and that's happening in practice. And the, the guys that we would be considered the second stringers who didn't ever get any play in time in the past, the past few years, because the starters played almost every snap. I think they think, I think those guys that are second team guys think, Hey, I'm going to still get opportunities and this is going to be so much fun because we're going to put up points. We're going to put up yards. And this offense is going to be really fun to play in with Caleb Williams and the guys that are around me with all these weapons. I'm going to get some opportunities as well. Yeah, no, I agree. And it, you know, it's past the deadline, so if someone was going to enter the portal, they wouldn't be able to play next year. So it might be a thing where, well, let's see what happens through fall camp, see what happens in the games, and maybe some players go in the portal during the season or just before the season or something. But I don't think there's much of a reason to do it now. Uh, but, you know, there is the potential to have an impact on the team chemistry because I, I felt like in the spring – you had the people that were already at USC. You had the whole new coaching staff. You had all these people that were brought in and they kind of were all starting from square one. You know, they were all on the same page. I didn't feel like a chemistry thing was an issue. It wasn't like the new guy coming in. There was clicks and all this stuff. Like there might be some of that, but nobody that was at USC felt super comfortable. It wasn't like they had the best lunch table and then the new kids coming to school and you're just like, see where you sit. Like the whole lunchroom got messed up and no one knew where the good lunch table was, right? Like there wasn't the cool kids. There were ones like, we're all new. And so that I feel like they probably built that chemistry in the, the 15 practices. And now you add, you know, the, the valedictorian from some other school comes in and it's like, Oh, what's going on here? Um, so I'm curious to see, you know, I'm sure he'll fit in and all that stuff, but that would be the one thing for me is just like the chemistry wise. But as far as transferring, I don't think it's going to, no one's going to say, oh, he's coming here. I'm going to transfer. Lincoln Riley said they're going to play eight to 10 guys. They only had 10 scholarship wide receivers total. Now they have 11, you know? So uh, I think a lot of these guys can get some get some love. And I don't think Addison's going to get 144 targets. So like he did at Pitt. Ryan, did you sit at the cool kids table in high school? Is that what you're trying to tell us? No, I wasn't a cool. I was, uh, we were, it was like more of like, not as cool athletes. That's where I was most of the time. So like, <laughs> not the super cool one. I was like, you know, next level down. Where where were you, Shotgun? I was not even in the lunchroom. You know, unless unless it was pizza day, I didn't even come to the, the cafeteria. I went to the gym and shot. So I got some shots up during nice. All right. during lunchtime. Cool. Okay. Well, uh good stuff, everybody. Good show. I really appreciate all you guys uh Tune in everything, and thanks for joining Shotgun. I know it's late on the uh, West Coast. I'm glad the, the comments were working. I really got to put a whole bunch of – that's definitely a record for putting comments up on the screen. So uh, it's nice, and we'll try to streamline that um, going forward, but it's cool. I'm glad you guys get to see from YouTube and from Facebook, uh, get to see all of your comments up there. I don't think there's a way to do it for the Twitter comments. We can put tweets up, but, you know, that's – is pretty good, I think, getting the uh, YouTube in. But thanks for watching on all those. Please hit like and subscribe uh, on all of our channels, Inside Troy at uh, at YouTube for sure, and over on our Facebook page. Uh, and you know, join uscfootball.com for a buck. You can get in there for the first month. It's so yeah, tons of content, all kinds of stuff going on in the middle of May when there's no football, but we're still talking about football. We're talking about all kinds of things. Uh, but you guys are all here, and we do appreciate that. Thanks for. Uh, tuning into our little show. So for Shotgun. Uh, oh, Ryan, oh. One, one last thing. Yep. I did want to send my condolences out to Pat Narduzzi and Keaton Slovis for the loss of Jordan Edison. Just wanted to just want to get that in there. Sorry, guys. Yeah. You know, 
you feel bad. Like Keen Slow is a nice guy. You feel bad though. Like he goes there thinking like, oh, I'm going to the place that has the best wide receiver in the country. And up oh, now I'm not going there. And he's, oh, he, where is he? Where I used to be like. It's college football in this day and era. It, you know, you can't look at the roster and what it's going to look like in two years or three years. You know, if you're a high school kid and you're a junior, are you looking at what the roster is going to look like? Or your sophomore when these kids start getting recruited, you can't, you got to wait. And that's why. You make a super early decision. It's only if that's my dream school. I know I'm going there regardless. I wouldn't care about football or anything else. And, hey, you hope that everyone can pick that school, their school that way. But that's not the reality. You're going for where there's playing time and all that type of stuff. And with the transfer portal and everything else, that's something where you're going to have to wait until, you know, as late as possible to see, all right, well, did they just bring in Caleb Williams at quarterback and now I'm not going to have an opportunity to play for a couple years? or. You know, how, how are those things going to shake out? It's, it's again, another development and uh, just another change in college football. And, you know, we're here along, along in the, along for the ride as well as you guys. As well. 100%. You go to West Virginia, they got Graham Harrell and JT Daniels. You're like, okay, you know, um, it's, yeah, it's, this is bizarre. It's just, uh, it's crazy, crazy stuff. But anyway, well, thanks all everyone for uh, tuning in. Thanks for all the questions, comments, the likes and subscribes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we'll try to do this regularly on Sunday going forward so if you you know set that in your calendar yeah you want to join us live talking about some usc football on your sunday night boom let's do it so for shotgun spratling i am ryan abraham thank you so much for tuning in and we will talk to you next time